Christmas has its stories, tales of long ago. Santa and his reindeer, sleigh rides in the snow. Scrooge and Christmas spirits, gifts beneath the tree. Shepherds with a host of angels, wise men on their knees. But the stories we're narrating without further hesitating, because we don't want to keep you waiting. Because this song is not captivating, the message you're anticipating is the tale of the trees. Every year, for a long time, as anyone could remember, the school Christmas pageant ended with a hearty rendition of the old Christmas tree. And every year in the middle of the stage stood the same Christmas tree prop that everyone called Bruce, Bruce the Spruce, cut out of a piece of plywood a half inch thick. To be honest, Bruce had seen better days. His bows were chipped, his paint was a bit faded, even the star perched on top was missing one of its points. But no one seemed to mind. He was Bruce, and Bruce was a Christmas legend. Oh, Christmas tree, oh, Christmas tree, how lovely are your branches. Not only green in summer heat, but also winter snow and sleet. Oh, Christmas tree, oh, Christmas tree, how lovely are your branches. But it wasn't easy to be Bruce. He spent most of his life in storage, months on end, day after day, collecting dust and getting shoved further and further into the corner. But Bruce would wait patiently, knowing that eventually he would be pulled out, dusted off, and set up on a stage. For a few weeks, his little friends would dance around with him as they rehearsed. And then on that second Friday night in December, the spotlight would shine on him. And Bruce would stand tall and proud. But this year was different. No one ever came for him. The angel costumes were taken from the racks. The cardboard camels were claimed. The shepherd's staffs were taken all the Christmas props were removed from storage, but not Bruce. He was left in the corner, alone and forgotten, a decidedly blue spruce. Miss Hibbs was the new music teacher at the school. This was to be her first Christmas pageant, and she wanted it to be different. She wasn't even going to sing Oh Christmas Tree, but when the students begged, she relented. They would finish with the song like other years, but they would use a different tree, not that old beat up piece of plywood backstage. She wanted a better tree, a more realistic tree, a sophisticated tree. When Bruce saw the new tree, he was stunned. The new tree was beautiful, like almost real and round and not flat like him. 
It had branches that bent and twisted, and were those needles? The tree was covered with shiny glass ornaments and hundreds of lights, maybe thousands, and an LED angel on the top that spun in circles. Bruce knew why he was in the storage. At first, he was angry. He had always been there for the kids. How could they forget him? And then he was sad. His days of being in the pageant were over, and, and well, then he was scared. Would they just throw him in the dumpster at the end of the pageant? Bruce kind of shrunk back deeper in his corner and despondently watched the rehearsals. But then something happened to Bruce. He saw how excited the children were with their new tree. He could be happy for them. And as he watched the children practice, he remembered all the pageants he had been in. He would be grateful. And then he listened to the narrator as she said her lines. And there, the shepherds found Joseph and Mary and the baby who were lying in the manger. Wait. The, the pageant was, was never about him anyhow. By and by, the night of the performance came. The parents filled the auditorium as the children took to the stage. They sang Christmas songs and told the story of Jesus and the shepherds and the wise men. And then the lights went down and a spotlight shone on the brand new Christmas tree. And the children started to sing the first verse and then the second verse of O Christmas Tree. Oh Christmas tree, oh Christmas tree, of all the trees most lovely, each year you bring to us delight with brightly shining Christmas light. Oh Christmas tree, oh Christmas tree, of all the trees most lovely. The children circled the tree and danced all around, joyously singing with all of their hearts. But then it happened. One of the children's feet danced where it wasn't supposed to and tripped over an electrical cord. The lights on the tree went out, the cord pulled taut, the tree tripped, wobbled dramatically, and then toppled to the floor. Ornaments crashed on the stage. Branches fell out of the trunk and the tree laid sprawled in a ruined heap. The children stopped singing, the piano stopped playing, and Miss Hibbs didn't know what to do. She tried to get the children to sing again, but they just stared silently. Maybe she should just end the show. That's what she would do. So she herded the children to the front of the stage to take their bows, only to realize that two of the students were missing. When did that happen? Had they been missing the whole time? Did the parents notice? But of course, they did. Everything was going wrong. Miss Hibbs was in a panic. The crowd started to murmur. She turned to apologize when she noticed somebody was pointing. She was afraid to look. But it was the two missing children dragging something with them. It was Bruce. Bruce the Spruce. And they propped him up in the middle of the stage. The children started to sing again, now joined by their parents. Oh, Christmas tree, oh, Christmas tree, 
This morning we tell the story of the pageant tree. I want to start by asking this question. By the way, thanks to the worship team also for their support of the uh, of the program. There's some awfully cute kids up here. I'd like to take home a few sheep if they're available, and uh, we have room at our house. We might need some shepherds to take care of them. Maybe a few angels. I don't know. Uh, I don't know if we have that much room. But wow, what a great job! And appreciated that so much. But I want to start with this question here this morning. What makes for a beautiful Christmas tree? What makes for a beautiful Christmas tree? How about a better question that maybe fits maybe with us? What makes for a beautiful life? Usually when we talk about a person as beautiful, what are we referring to? We're talking about their appearance. Sometimes we might mean their appearance or their, their demeanor or their character, but usually when we say, you know, she's a really beautiful person or he's a really beautiful person, we're talking about somehow what they look like. But what does that really mean? And sometimes we get a little bit deeper with that when we say, he's a really beautiful person. We mean something more than that. We mean their character. We mean who they are. We mean the fact that, you know, we enjoy experiencing them. We enjoy spending time with them. We enjoy being with them because they inspire us, because they lift us up, because they call something bigger out of us. But how does a person become a beautiful person? Or how does a person become that person who makes the world around them better or that's really good at at inspiring and uplifting person? That's the question I want to deal with here this morning. Because I think all of us would like to be that person. We would actually like to be Bruce. The one that everybody likes to be with, to gather around, and to sing with. You know, there's a concept that's being used nowadays in the uh, psychology world, in the counseling world. It's also a concept that's being used in the church world and in the faith world. And it's the concept of what we call front stage and backstage. And maybe you've heard this. Maybe you're familiar with it. But the idea of this is that we all have both of these in our lives. We have the front stage. We have the backstage. The front stage is where we live out in front of people. It's what everybody sees of us. It's where we are when we go to life. It's where we are when we go to school. It's our public life. Our front stage is what we do. But we all have a backstage as well. And the backstage is the part of our lives that we live out of view. It's our private lives, and it has a whole lot more to do with who we are. Front stage is about keeping up appearances and looking nice and performing well. It's about getting into our roles. It's about delivering our lines. It's even about enjoying the applause when the end of the play comes. And this is where most of us invest ourselves. We want to look good. We want to you know, make a good appearance, and we want people to think well of us. We want to impress people. We want to fit in. We want to be appreciated. We want to be invited to the Christmas party, maybe, depending on how you feel about Christmas parties. But the backstage, that's a different story. That's just kind of where we keep our junk, maybe piled in the corner. Nobody ever sees it. 
At least we hope nobody ever sees it. There's no bright lights back there. It's out of sight. It's out of mind. And we don't ever let anybody go back there. We don't let anybody see what's actually going on inside us. We just have this face that we put on for everybody that looks good, especially at Christmas time. We need to be happy. We need to be merry and bright, right? Christmas is, to me, the ultimate front stage occasion. It's, you know, we have to get our homes decorated. We have to get 50 zillion lights on the outside of our house. We've got our holiday clothes, and we need to have our holiday clothes because we need to take the holiday picture. And the reason we need to the holiday picture is so that we can put it on the family Christmas card, which used to be just something that came with a little, you know, folded card inside with the family letter. Now it's just like the family postcard with 68 pictures of what you happened to do the last year posted on that postcard. And we send that out to everybody that we know. We have parties where we go, where we try to sound happy, or we try to be entertaining. We post pictures on Facebook. We give gifts to people, and we give those gifts partly because we like them, and partly we hope that they'll be impressed with what we actually happen to give them. And it could go on and on and on. And Christmas is a lot of glitz and glitter and show. Christmas is a ton of front stage. All of these, you know, putting on happy faces, all of these looking nice, all of these playing the parts, playing the roles, and like, hey, how are you? Great. Hey, Merry Christmas. Hey, same to you. And we go through life that way. And everything looks good front stage. But Christmas didn't always used to be a front stage event. It actually was a backstage event. The backstage is where Christmas, the first Christmas, took place. Think about this. The first Christmas did not take place in Jerusalem. That would have been the, the obvious place for Christmas, right? That's the political center of Israel. That was the, the religious center of Israel. If we're going to do something religious, we should do that in Jerusalem. That's where all the people live. That's where everybody paid attention. But where did Christmas take place? It took place in a little town called Bethlehem, a little village really kind of tucked off in the hills, far removed from the public view. Interesting. Now, yeah, I would think Christmas would, would be like the first Christmas in a big hotel with lots of people there, everybody gathered, and maybe we could bring even in some dignitaries and get the paparazzi out there with their cameras so that everybody could see what was happening and so we could actually record the event but where did it take place? In a stable, maybe a cave, maybe a barn. We don't know for exactly. And who was there? No, oh, Mary Joseph. Maybe a few animals. We're not even told that. Not much of a front stage there. There were no royal guests or dignitaries. Just a handful of shepherds. And who were shepherds? They were like the bottom of society. That doesn't seem very front stage, does it? There wasn't much fanfare. The whole angel deal... Well, who's their audience? Shepherds? That's not impressive. And how long did they really get to speak? I mean, if you take what's recorded in Scripture, they're, they're kind of on and off in about two minutes. You have to wonder if, if maybe they were all up there in heaven saying, God, we've got to tell this to the world. We've got to. This is the biggest thing that's ever happened. Let us have our chance. And God's like, okay, two minutes. That's all you got. And by the way, your audience is going to be like five or six shepherds. No fanfare. Christmas was a backstage event. The props were just a feeding trough that became a crib. It was so backstage that two of the four gospel writers don't even mention it. 
If you just read Mark or John, you don't really have any idea what the birth of Jesus was about. Matthew mentions a few things. It's Luke who tells us the most. And so I want to encourage you here this morning to look at the book of Luke chapter 2 is where we're going to read. But Christmas was a backstage event. And the reason why it was a backstage event is because that's where Jesus lived most of his life. It was actually backstage, not in front of everybody else. So if you'll turn with me to Luke chapter 2. Luke is the writer, the author in the Bible, who actually tells us the most about Jesus' birth and then about his upbringing. And it's all, what we have is all recorded in chapter 2. In the story that we heard this morning, a lot of the scripture that you heard this morning, was actually quotations from Luke chapter 2. But we find out that Jesus was born in a stable, the shepherds visited, that he was taken to the temple on the eighth day for his circumcision and his dedication. There are people that he met along the way, Anna and Simeon. Matthew then gives us a few more details it tells us about the wise men coming. It tells us also that Jesus and his family traveled to, to Egypt for a couple years. And then we come back to Luke, who gives us the next thing that happens in Jesus' life. And that's what we're reading here this morning from the King, New King James Version. We're going to put this up on the screen so you can follow along. So when they had performed all these things according to the law of the Lord, they returned to Galilee and to their own city, Nazareth. And so they've been in Bethlehem for a while. They had traveled to Egypt. And now they were back in their own city of Nazareth. And the child, that would be Jesus, grew and became strong in spirit, filled with wisdom, and the grace of God was upon him. And now, Luke goes on to give us the details of Jesus' childhood. Every story that we're told about his childhood comes next. It's one single incident. That's it. Here it is. His parents went to Jerusalem every year at the Feast of the Passover, and when he was 12 years old, so we just skipped 10 years at least, when he was 12 years old, they went up to Jerusalem according to the custom of the feast, and when they had finished the days, they returned. The boy Jesus lingered behind in Jerusalem, and Joseph and his mother did not know it. And here's what was going on in this story. The feast of the Passover is one of three feasts that the Jews observed every year. And everybody, especially on the Passover, was expected to go into Jerusalem. And so all of these villages and towns, the people would gather, and they would gather in friend groups, or maybe they might gather in, in family groups. And they would travel together down to Jerusalem to the festival. But as they traveled, they probably gathered a few along the way, and, and the group continued to grow, this, this big caravan, and it was safer that way. But the tradition said that the women and the children traveled together in part of the group, and the men traveled in another part of the group. And the women and children would kind of go in front, and the men came, kind of came behind. And it, was a, it was a social event as they traveled to the feast that way. Well, Jesus, at the age of 12, would have fit both categories. He could have been with Mary and the children because he was really a, an older child. But he was also right on the cusp of manhood there, so he could have been with Joseph and all the men. And evidently what happens in this story is Joseph assumes that Jesus is with his mother and the other children, and Mary assumes that Jesus is with Joseph and the other men. And so neither of them realize it until they get to the end of the day that they've been traveling. It's like, oh, you can't find Jesus. Oh, where's Jesus? Where's Jesus? You ever had that experience with your kids? You can't find your kid? It's a terrifying experience, and you can sense that terror that they have. And so they turn around and they head back to Jerusalem. 
And it says here, verse number 14, we keep reading along here, it says, but supposing him to have been in the company, they went a day's journey and sought him among their relatives and acquaintances. When they didn't find him, they returned to Jerusalem seeking him. Now, so it was after three days that they found him in the temple. And those three days would have been the day that they traveled without him, the day that they traveled back without him. And then the next day they find him looking, or in the temple, and he's sitting in the midst of the teachers, both listening to them and asking them questions. And all who heard him were astonished at his understanding and answers. So when they saw him, they were amazed. But his mother said to him, Son, why have you done this to us? In other words, you just freaked us out totally here. Look, your father and I, we have sought you anxiously. And Jesus said to them, Why did you seek me? Did you not know that I must be about my father's business? But they did not understand the statement that he spoke to them. However, Luke included it here, so this statement that he spoke to them must have been important. But it goes on, it says, Then he went down with them and came to Nazareth and was subject to them. But his mother kept all these things in her heart, and and Jesus increased in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and man. And that's it. There's nothing else there. We don't read anything more about Jesus' life for 18 years. Until we get to age 30, when he finally takes the stage for a brief three-year run. But this is why I say that the backstage is where Jesus lived most of his life. In fact, 90% of Jesus' life was lived where nobody noticed. Nobody knew who he was. Nobody paid any attention. There were just three brief years where he came to the front stage. Why did he have to wait? We don't exactly know. But I have a better question. Why are we told so little about this season of Jesus' life? I mean, he's son of God, right? It seems like it should be important that if he's here for 33 years, we get all the information. And 30 years of it evidently is unimportant. Or maybe it's not that it's unimportant. Maybe it's that it doesn't really matter that much to us. Or maybe it's actually that it's trying to make a point. And the point isn't that we need to live our lives where everybody notices and everybody sees us and everybody claps for us and cheers for us and follows us. Maybe it's that those times, that part of our life, is really the most important part of our life. It's the part of the life that we call the backstage. So it illustrates a point, and I think this is one of the most significant lessons that we can learn from the life of Christ. It's this, that a person's private world is way more important than his public world. A person's private world, the backstage, is way more important than his public world. And the backstage seemed to be the place, the life that Jesus craved. Think about this. He didn't minister. Most of his ministry was not in Jerusalem, Judea. Again, the populace, where the population was, where the religious leaders were. Most of it was done up in Galilee where there was far less publicity sign. When he healed people, what did he say to people oftentimes when he healed them? Hey, 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 don't tell anybody, okay? Could could we keep this under wraps? You see this, he was with the crowds, but you also see him with the crowds saying to his disciples, hey, let's get into a boat and let's like leave here, okay? And let's go to a quiet place by ourselves. And there's even times where he says, how about if you get into the boat? Because I'm going to go up here on the hill, up here on the mountain, all by myself. 
and I'm going to pray, and I'm going to be alone with God. Even as we look at the life of Christ here, he craved the backstage. It was his custom to do what? To withdraw, to start the day alone and in prayer. He was never about the spot, right, or the front stage. In fact, you almost sensed that he didn't like it. He preferred the backstage, even though that was impossible. He liked to retreat, to avoid the crowds if he could. He was about the backstage more than the front stage. But the question is, why? That doesn't make a lot of sense. I mean, he came to save the world, right? It seems like you need a lot of attention. If that is the job that you've come to do, you need a little press, you need a little link, you need a little social media post that goes viral, that would be helpful to you. But Jesus knew, and I think he wanted us to know, that life is supposed to be about the backstage more than it is the front stage. And so it comes down to these two points, and we'll close with these this morning here. First of all, the backstage is where God does his best work. The backstage is where God does his best work. There's two important phrases, I think, in this text. The first one is when Jesus was age 12, and he said, I must be about my father's business. He's not talking about his father, Joseph. He's talking about his father, God. He said, I must be about my father's business. He had an understanding by age 12 that the most important thing in life was his relationship with God. And he knew that by 12, and I think he pursued that even for the next 18 years, that relationship with God. And there's that phrase that shows up there in, in Luke 2.52, the last verse that we read there this morning. It says that he grew in favor with God. And you can only do that through a connection with the Father. So here's why the backstage is so important then. The backstage is important because it's where we connect with God. We don't connect with God necessarily out here on the stage the front stage of life, we connect with God in the quiet places, in the dark places, in the hidden places of our lives. But that is the most important thing that we can do. We hear a lot of times in our world that we need to really pay attention to soul or to self-care. And that's why we're using in the psychology world, we're using these terms front stage and backstage because you need to care for yourself. And part of self-care is being aware of what's going on inside of you, your private life. But it goes deeper than that. It's not just self-care. It's soul care. And that's where God gets inside of our lives and starts to do things inside us. And the backstage is where we connect with God. It's where God changes us. See, with some effort, a man can change his behavior. But a man can never change his heart. And ultimately, if his heart doesn't get changed... His behavior just becomes kind of a moralistic thing to take pride in, to be self-righteous about. But God gets inside us and changes us. Behavior is front stage, isn't it? Transformation, change, that's really backstage. But what's interesting to me is that it's very easy to be part of a church. It's very easy to be even involved in religion and to make it all very much front stage. Here's what I do. Here's how I act. Here's the things that I'm supposed to say. Oh, I need to be in church on Sunday. I better go. And those are all the things that I do. And God calls us to something else. He says, I want you to be 
I don't want the hypocrisy over here. I want you. I want your heart because I want to change you. And the backstage is where God changes our hearts. It's also where he renews us. We have to live on the front stage. We can't avoid it. That's what life is about. Going to work, going to school, whatever, going to the store. But that wears us out. The backstage is where we get renewed, and it's God who actually renews us. Christmas wears us out, doesn't it? Because all we do is all kinds of front stage events. We look at our calendar. I have to run here. 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 And we neglect the backstage when the backstage is where God said, hey, how, many, how about if I pour my strength into you? The backstage is where God recalibrates us. It reminds us of what's really important in life. It's not all the festivities that we do at Christmas. It's about the baby who came at Christmas. It's where God restores us because our hearts tend to drift. And we get chasing a lot of things that aren't that important, but it's the backstage where God says, oh, time out, come back, come back. And so he repairs us in the backstage, but he also prepares us in the backstage. And that's what was going on with Jesus' life. For 18 years, we don't know what's going on there. Here's what's going on. God's preparing him for three years. God's preparing him for less than 10% of his life. But God is in the process of preparing him and increasing his capacity. And in the backstage, God also establishes our identity. See, we're not just what we do. We are who we are. And God helps us not just to do what we need to do, but God helps us to become who he wants us to be. When Jesus emerges from the backstage, he's 30 years old. In Luke chapter 3, what's the story that's told? This is the first story that we've had in 18 years now. It's Jesus' baptism. And he's baptized by John. And as he comes up out of the water, the heavens open and God speaks. And what does he say? This is my son that I'm very pleased with. Why? He hadn't done anything yet. Well, he was pleased with him maybe because he was just his son and that we don't have to do things to please God. And there's a big point there, right? But maybe he was pleased with him because he had just watched 18 years of Jesus living in the backstage and said, yeah, 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 yeah. See, the backstage is really the most important part of your story. We all play characters on the stage. We have to. But it's who we are behind the curtain that God is paying the most attention to. So how do we get backstage? And how do we get backstage this Christmas? Because that's the tale of the trees this morning. Is to develop your backstage life. Let me just suggest a couple things here as we close. You get backstage, first of all, by establishing a relationship with God. Do you have one? Is God a part of your life in any way, shape, or form? And what part is God in your life, personally? Have you ever come to the place where you've seen Jesus as more than just a baby? A man who grew, who for three years did his ministry, his miracles, but then died on the cross for your sins? And wrote it again so that you could be forgiven and so that you could have this relationship with God. 
Have you ever invited Jesus Christ into your life? Have you ever started that relationship with God? That's how you get backstage. There's a lot of us, we've gone backstage there, but we've kind of just neglected what's going on backstage. And that's time spent with God. We've done this uh, theme for this year called Storylines. We gave out some notebooks and encouraged you to do some journaling. But you know why? We're trying to encourage you to step into your backstage and to maybe reflect, to say, what's God doing in my life? To pray a little bit, to read scripture, to say, okay, what is this speaking to me? And so that's how we get backstage. We get backstage by spending time with God. Prayer, could be music, I suppose. Spending time reading God's word. Maybe it's even listening to, to some things that might be helpful to us. The problem with Christmas is it's so easy to get so busy with all of this stuff that's all front stage that we never step into the backstage. And that's where God wants us to be. If we have a Christmas tree, I'm not sure God cares. If we make it to the party, I'm not sure he cares. If we give the greatest gifts, I'm not sure he cares. But if we spend just a few minutes to reflect on a God who's so big that he can become so small, that's what he cares about. If we take a few minutes to say, you know what, God, I want you to do something in me. I see things in my life that need to be changed. Would you please change me? That's what he wants Christmas to be about. Where, where we say, God, I, I think I got my priorities all mixed up here. I'm, I'm heading in the wrong direction. I'm about the wrong things. And God says, no, no, no. Or, or, or yeah, yeah, yeah. That's, that's where I want you to be is, is paying attention to those things. See, it doesn't really matter if you buy the best gift, if you throw the best party, if you cook the best dinner, follow the best traditions, trim the best trees, sing the best songs. Those are all front stage. You know what matters? It's your connection with Jesus. Taking time for God. Becoming who you are supposed to be. We heard about Bruce some imaginary tree, right? But what happened to Bruce? It wasn't that the light shone on him on the stage. It was when he was pushed to the backstage and thought he was forgotten, where he learned to be grateful, where he learned to enter into the experience of others, and where he was reminded of who Christmas is all about. That's what we need to be reminded of, too. That's the tale of the trees. Let's pray this morning. Dear Jesus, we are grateful for the opportunity that we've had this morning to be reminded of the story of you. Who came not so the people could cheer for you, but came so that you could do what the Father wanted you to do. Who didn't came so that you come so you could make a name for yourself, but you came so that you could have a relationship with us. Our heads are bowed, our eyes are closed. If you're here this morning, Jesus came for you. He didn't came from, come for himself. We want to have a relationship with you where you would trust him as the son of God who died for your sins on a cross and rose again. Have you ever acknowledged that? Have you ever accepted that gift? Have you ever asked him to forgive your sins and to come into your life? 
invite you to do that this morning if you never have. See, there's a lot of us who think that we can be good. We can do all kinds of good things. That's all front stage stuff. Backstage is where we let God do his work in us and where he brings grace to us and offers us forgiveness and eternal life. Maybe you've done that, and I hope you have, and probably the majority of people in this room have done that. The question for you then is this. Is the backstage getting any priority in your life this Christmas? Because it needs to. So the question is, what will you do to prioritize it? Do you make that commitment this morning? Jesus, thank you for being the great example of living the backstage life. Help us to follow you. In that way, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen. So glad to have you here as we celebrate Christmas here at Waterford Community Church this morning. Kids did a great job, didn't they? And uh, love that, appreciated that so much. We'll be back next Sunday. We'll be talking about another tale of the tree. We'll also be celebrating our, our pancake brunch in ugly Christmas sweater. If you don't have an ugly Christmas sweater, you just have a good-looking Christmas sweater, you're welcome to wear that too. But we'll be doing that after the service. And then I want to mention to everybody, don't forget that we have Christmas Eve that is coming up on Christmas Eve. Christmas Eve service, actually. Love to have you join us for that as well. Would you stand with me this morning? If you're a guest, again... So glad that you've come. Feel free to stop by the, uh, the desk there in the back. We have a gift for you. But God bless you. Have a great day. You're dismissed.